0: Good morning, Uh, let me invite the kids to leave, unless they want to stay, they're welcome to stay. Um, My name is Nathan, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I need to learn how to say that differently, I say the same thing every time. My name is Nathan, and I'm glad that you're here, and yeah, I can't get out of the rhythm. I just want to meet you, I'd love to meet you so uh yeah it's good to have you here uh we are walking through this wonderful book of philippians and uh it's a joy to open up the word and to to uh feed you with it i'm praying that the lord would speak to us this morning as we open up this uh text and consider it uh, but i've been telling those around me nearby to me uh that uh in 2016 i was doing some reflection at the end of 2016 and the beginning of 2017 and i'd noticed uh, that I had become, that, that pessimism began to creep in into my heart and mind in 2016. I don't know if that happened to you, but to me it did. I noticed it started to creep in, and I even noticed that I was sort of around people that were a little pessimistic. Uh, this was not here, by the way. This was back in Georgia. Um, so uh, this is back with some of my family who I love. Uh, and so I was beginning to reflect on that, and I just sort of said to myself, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a guy that's pessimistic and cynical and negative. Um, I want to be a guy that's full of hope, full of joy, no matter what may come. I don't know if that describes you, uh, but it certainly has described me. What I find uh, in the pages of Scripture is the saints of old who went through perilous times, times that were much more perilous in some ways than more than ours, in the sense of at least their their times, their uh, circumstances that they found themselves in as believers were oftentimes much more difficult than my own. And yet they remained full of hope and full of confidence and full of joy. And you want to know why they were like that? Those saints of old, why they're able to be confident and maintain hope and joy? Because Because God and the Gospel that they believed in wasn't just a part of their life, it was their life. It was all they had. God, Gospel, His people, church, it was not just this sort of element, sort of like job and eating, but it was their life. And they were able to maintain that hope and go through it. The pages of Scripture tell us that those people, those saints of old, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that the world was not even worthy of them. And I want to be like that. Don't you? Don't you want to be somebody that's full of confidence, full of hope, not full of pessimism, not full of cynicism, full of joy and confidence? Well, friends, if you do, if you share the desire with me to be someone that is full of confidence, full of hope, full of joy, no matter what may come to you, well, I've got a great word for you. Uh, if you don't, you're going to be really unhappy with what Paul to, happens to say to us today. But if you do want to be someone full of hope and joy and confidence, you're going to love this passage that we're going to look at in Philippians chapter one. We've entitled this series, Making My Joy Com- Complete. We grab that Philippians, from Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul talks about making his joy complete by being of the same mind and of the same gospel, this sort of thing. And so that he wants, he, he wants the church at Philippi to be a people that is united in the gospel and humble in that gospel so that they would then go on to advance that gospel. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the church that he began and the church that he bled for. This is a church that was probably the most healthiest church in the New Testament that we're aware of, but uh, we find that there's a few fracturing things that he's trying to address, but he loves this church, Paul does so much, that when he prays for them, we saw last week, that he has joy in thanksgiving, which by the way, thanksgiving and joy, they go together. They always do. So this little local church that Paul is writing to, they love the Gospel. They love the work of the Gospel. Paul wants them to be humble and united in enjoying that Gospel and spreading that Gospel. That's why he's writing some 30 years after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And so I'm going to read where we left off in Philippians 1, 3-8. Before I do that, let me pray for us. This is Your Word, Father bow our hearts to submit to it for our good and for Your glory. May we be confident saints in Christ Jesus. Prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 1, verse 3. I'm going to read down to verse 8. We're going to deal with verses 6 and 7 today. I thank my God in all my remembrance of You, always in every prayer of mine, all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel for god is my witness how i yearn for you all with the affection of christ jesus first thing we see in this passage friends is the con- is confidence confidence that paul has we see confidence here verse 6 confidence paul is confident he's very confident look at verse 6 again i I am sure of this i love how the new american standard reads it it says i am confident i am persuaded paul friends is not wishful he is not a man in flux he is not sucked in by the negativity of his circumstances he does not hold the gospel as some fanciful religious creation he's going to hope that will sort of set fire and kind of keep going no he is not friends like a new business owner Wistfully dreaming that maybe his business will sort of take off. That is not Paul. Paul, friends, is confident. He is very, very confident. I am sure of this. I am confident. I am persuaded. And what is it he is confident of? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Well, who was it that began the good work in them? Well, that's clearly... God. We see that in verse 3. That's the context. The obvious answer there is God. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. So Paul is confident in God. He is confident in God. Paul, friends, is not confident in himself. Paul is not confident in his church planning strategy. Paul is not confident in his 2017 reading devotional plan. Paul is not even confident necessarily in his overseers and the deacons of Grace Church Philippi. Paul is not confident in his training as a Pharisee. Paul is not even apparently that confident in his calling as an apostle from Jesus Christ himself. No, Paul is confident in God. He is sure of God. That's where all of his hope is. That's where all of his confidence lies in God, not in himself, not in his plans, not necessarily in his friends, in God. Paul is confident in God. So friends, if you and I are going to work against cynicism and pessimism and negativity and all these kinds of things in 2017, friends, then you and I are going to have to get confident in God. Confident in Him. Confident in Him. I don't know about you, friends, but when I get hopeless or I get joyless or I get cynical or pessimistic, I'm more aware of the bad in myself and in others than I am what God is doing in the world. That's got to change. So what needs to happen is we need to learn from our Good pastor, Pastor Paul, as he graciously and joyfully writes to Grace Church Philippi and instructs them on where his hope is. We need to learn to place our confidence in God. And isn't he, friends, the one that we believe set the mountains into existence? Isn't he the one that we believe hung the sun in the sky and keeps the planets floating through the air? Isn't he the one that we believe brings the rain and the snow? And isn't he the one that we believe redeemed our life from the pit? When we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Isn't He the one? Isn't that who we believe did all of those things? Isn't He the one that is active in the world right now? In this moment even? But maybe that's the problem right there. Maybe you're less confident that He's active in the world. Maybe you might be confident that He did all those other things, but maybe you're a little less confident that He's active in the world. And so therefore, because you're less confident, I mean, we can't see Him, right? When you pray, it sort of feels like you're talking to yourself. So maybe you're less confident that He's active in the world. And so you then think that you need to go out and do the work of God on your own. You're trusting yourself. You're trusting those around you. And so because of that, you're tired. You're exhausted. You've made bad choices even. You're sort of perplexed. You're downtrodden in that way. And so you've grown less confident because... Well, you're not quite confident that he's active in the world. And so because of that, you're a bit exhausted because you're taking your confidence in yourself. Well, friend, let me, let, let me show you what Paul thinks about this idea of God not being active in our world. Take a look. Paul, friends, is not only confident in God. Paul is confident in something God is doing and will do. Paul's confidence is laser-focused. Not just on God, but, what on, but on what God is doing. And what is it He's doing? Look again at verse 6. And I am sure of this, that, here it comes, He, that's God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at or until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul, friends, has been beaten up and battered by the world because of his confidence in the Gospel. And yet his confidence in God's work is undiminished. His confidence is in God to bring about the members of Grace Church Philippi to completion at or until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're asking, what is that day of Jesus Christ? What does that mean? Well, friends, that is referencing the return of Christ to judge the living and the dead. That is the day that those of us who are saints in Christ Jesus, that's the day that we're waiting for. Right now, that's what we're waiting for. The day Jesus' promise was going to happen, and last time I checked, He has kept every single promise He has made. So the day when Jesus returns and throws out the evil in the world into the lake of fire, and simultaneously He ushers in the final state of glorification, consummation, restoration. And so on the day of Jesus Christ, He rids the world of evil. He welcomes into the world everlasting joy, life, and righteousness. The world as it was and one day will be. Heaven on earth. That's the day of Jesus Christ. And that day, friends, is coming. Paul is saying that he is sure, that he is confident that God will bring the members of Grace Church Philippi into completion at that day. Or, when you get behind the English a little bit into the original language, there seems to be something even more being alluded to. It seems to be it's not just that God is going to bring us into completion at that day. What seems to be communicated, he's going to bring us into completion until that day. In other words, God is actively working in Grace Church Philippi, or we could say the members of Restoration Church right now. Guys, think about it. In this very moment, he is holding you and I up in Christ Jesus, carrying us along to that day until Jesus makes everything right. He is actively, God is actively holding us. He is in this very moment as the Word goes out. He is actively sanctifying us, completing us every moment of every day until the day comes when it is all complete, it is all glorified. Paul is confident God is holding us fast to the end. He is not confident of our hold of Him. He doesn't mention that. Is not confident of our hold of God, but he is confident of God's hold of us. Paul's confidence to get the saints in Christ Jesus to the finish line is not in themselves, but instead his confidence is in God. God. It's in Christ Jesus. And you want to know why Paul is so confident that God is doing this and will do this? Well, look again at verse 6. Because it was God who began the work. That's why he can have confidence. So the good work there that's being referenced there, that's the reference he's referencing salvation, justification. When someone trusts in Jesus and are transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son, that's what he means by good work. That's the good work. The good work of the Gospel as it is applied to individual human hearts. Where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lays His life down for sinners on the cross to pay the penalty of sin, buried and rises on the third day so that that new life can be applied to all those that believe and they be clean. And they are clean. And because of that finished work of Christ, therefore, those that have hold of it, God is holding them inside of that justification. That friend, that gift can be yours if you don't have it today. Paul is confident. He is sure. He is certain that God will complete us. He will get us home because God's the one that began it in the first place. God, the one that started it. He's confident because God is the one that started it. And guys, God always finishes what He starts. He always finishes what He begins. Always. See, Paul, friends, he knows the character of God. He knows that God is holy. He is perfect in himself. Therefore, all of his works will be holy. All of his works will be perfect. So if he began it, then he's going to perfect it. If he began it in you, he will perfect it in the end. God, Paul knows that. He is aware of that. So since God began the good work of salvation of Grace Church Philippi, God must then complete his work in them. So do you remember, friends, how this church began? Do you all remember that story? We looked at it a couple weeks ago. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Paul goes to the river's edge. There's some women praying. There's a woman named Lydia. She's praying. And go back and look at Acts 16, 14. And pay really close attention to the words there. Paul preaches the gospel to Lydia. And the text says, The Lord opened her heart to hear and believe. The Lord opened her heart to hear and believe, to see and to believe. The Lord did. That was the start of Grace Church Philippi. God also ushered in an earthquake to shake the heart of the Philippian jailer to believe. And so, by the grace of God, the initiative of God brought about the church of God. And so, since God built it, He will finish it. He will finish it. See, friends, we are led to believe we are led to believe that the good work of salvation is initiated or begun by us. Which I think explains why so many of us have so little confidence. So we believe that we are the ones that believe and then then after our repenting and believing, God then comes and saves us. We tend to believe that that's how it goes. But friends, if that were true, then it wouldn't really be the grace of God that saved us. It would be the obligation of God to save us. Do you see the difference? Oh, well, I guess Nathan repented and believed. I guess I'll go save him. No. God was the one that opened it up in the first place for me to even see it and want it. So think about it. Think about it this. Let me give you an illustration. If I, if I had good credit and I go down to the Bank of America and I tell them I want to open a bank account down there, We wouldn't say it was the grace of the Bank of America to give me an account, would we? No. We would recognize that A, they want my business. B, I fulfill the requirements. And C, they give me an account. Right? There is very little that's beautiful or gracious about that whole transaction. It's all very businesslike, Right? So, yet we often think that that's how salvation goes. God sort of set up the bank. Jesus died. We ask for an account. We repent and believe. And since God wants our business, He gives us an account. He saves us. And so now we are customers of Christianity. That tends to be how many of us think about the gospel. But friend, where's the grace in that? Where's the grace in that? Where's the initiative of God to save sinners in that? Well, some of you might say, well, it's in the opportunity, Nathan, the Grace is in the opportunity. Jesus' death provided the gracious opportunity to be saved. Well, friends, that's that's not the way that Paul seems to believe that grace happened to Grace Church Philippi. He says right there in the text, it's as clear as day, he says it was God who began the good work of salvation. He doesn't say that God began an opportunity of salvation. He began the work and God completes the work. God affected the work. God affects the work. He will complete the work. God was the one who opened Lydia's heart to receive the gospel. And friends, he had to because as we see in other passages, like Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, we see that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And last time I checked, guys, not many dead people are working real hard. They're not making many decisions. Romans five eight says that God shows His love for us that while we were yet sinners, rebellious, dead, Christ died for us, and I think thereby He initiated. Christ's death does not present the His death does not present the opportunity for salvation. He affects salvation in the cross. See, this is the beautiful part of the gospel. Don't you love this about the gospel? This is what sets the gospel apart from every other world religion on planet Earth. The The gospel of Jesus Christ is grace based it is the free grace of God to begin life in dead hearts and none of us deserve it that's why it's called grace so since God then come he He began it he then will complete it see some of us for some of us the reason why we lack confidence is because we don't understand how somebody gets saved how even I or you got saved listen to John I'm just going to run you through some verses John chapter 1 verse 12 But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, note the language, He, God, gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man. They were born of God. God gave us salvation. Similar language in Galatians 3.13 Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? We can think about Titus chapter three, four to five. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He did it, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy did he do it. Second Corinthians three thirteen. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Of course we know that familiar verse in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast Think about Romans chapter 8 verses 28 to 30 that wonderful what we call gospel golden chain And we know for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, that, that word foreknew there means foreloved, foreintimated. Like, you want to get a good cross reference uh, Genesis chapter 4, Adam knew his wife when they had a son. Yeah. Knew, foreknew. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those of whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he, and those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified hallelujah. that brings us back to Philippians one six this language of glorification, Paul is confident that God is going to finish what he began, he is going to complete us, he is going to glorify us because. Paul knows that He is the one that foreknew us, foreloved us, predestined us, called us, justified us. Therefore, He will glorify us. Nobody earned their salvation, nor did God save you or I out of obligation since you believed. No, friends, while we were sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins, the text says in Ephesians 2, 4, God made us alive. God made us alive. Friends, 100% of God began 100% of the good work of salvation in us that believe by 100% of His grace. And so therefore, since God began it, we are 100% sure He is going to finish it. He is going to complete it. He will glorify us. He is going to get us home. He's the one that started in the first place. And He's the one that's holding us up now. Thank God for that. If it was up to me, I'd be dead. So friends, if you do not have that salvation, this glorification, maybe you're wondering, well, how do I get it if God's the one that does it? That's a great question. Do you desire it? Is it something that's beautiful to you, that you desire, you long for? My guess is if Lydia was talking to us at that river's edge, that's what she would have said. And that desire to love God and be changed by the glories of the Gospel very well could be God opening up your heart at this very moment. So give your life to Him. Turn to Him and trust Him. It is imperative upon us to believe. We have to believe. We have to receive the gifts. So respond, friend, to that prompting by calling out the Lord to save you by the blood of Christ. And if you do that, and if you have done that, which is most of the people in the room, you've given your life to Christ. Let me tell you what this means for us. This idea of God finishing what He started. Let me tell you what it means for us. For those of us who are in Christ... We can live in the same confidence Paul does no matter what may come. No matter what poor decisions we make or have made. No matter how messy our lives get. No matter how messy our world gets. Get this, guys. The best is always in front of us. Always. The best is always in front of us. We are held fast by God Almighty and nothing and no one can overpower Him. Nothing or no one can change the destiny of those that believe Because we believe that we inherit the wonderful world that He made. No matter how much difficulty, strife, doubt, despair may come to us here, we will never be less secure because God always has us. See, friends, we we will definitely be more happy in heaven. But guess what? We We will not be more secure in heaven. We will always be secure because God is the one that holds us. No weapon formed against us will stand. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Ephesians 1, 13, 14. Our salvation is sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the, note the words, guarantee of our inheritance. John chapter 10, verse 28. This is the words of Jesus. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So, beloved, what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? Nothing. We have absolutely nothing to fear. The deepest, darkest enemy of Restoration Church, whoever or whatever that is, has no claim on us. None. They all lose. Because Christ has won. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. They can take our lives. They can take our homes. They can take our jobs. They can take our rights away from us. Take them all as long as we have Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords, heaven's darling and our everlasting reward. Now, I realize that if those kinds of things happen, it's hard, isn't it? It doesn't mean that the sting won't still hurt when those kinds of things happen to us. Though God will complete us, that doesn't mean now, in the meantime, as He is completing us, completing us and bringing us, doesn't mean that it will not be difficult. The Christian life is hard. To obey Jesus is hard. It costs Jesus His life. And he tells us it might cost us the same. So it does sting. But friends, it only stings for a little while. Aren't you glad? Aren't you willing to go through the pain of surgery in order to get health? I've never met a mother that enjoyed childbirth, but they love their children. The toil of preparing for a race is worth the glory of the reward in the end. And so we have been promised that since God put us in the race, we will get the reward. And that gives us confidence to run the race that is set in front of us in all of its toil. And so, Restoration Church, let's join with Paul and be confident as citizens of heaven in the country of earth. The best is in front of us. It cannot get taken away from us since God is the one that gave it to us at the beginning. And so we ought to live with joy in the grace and the glory of God in Christ Jesus and look forward to our heavenly reward. We can be confident. I remember this, a good, my boss in seminary, we always used to say, we'd walk around seminary and he always used to wonder why everybody going to seminary was always looking so sad. (laughs) And, I, and so he would walk around with a big smile on his face all the time. If you know him, you would always see that smile on his face because the best is always in front of us. Even if we fail seminary, hallelujah, we still get Jesus, right? We have confidence, brothers and sisters, in the Lord, but we also have camaraderie. It's the second thing we see in this passage. Camaraderie. Take a look at verse 7, that first half. Just as we have talked about, Paul knew that life was hard. He had experienced the words of Jesus when our Lord said to him, take up your cross and follow me. And yet he maintained confidence. He maintained confidence. And one of the reasons he was able to keep pressing on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus was because he wasn't alone. He had the camaraderie of the church. He knew that. We talked about this last week, about Paul's thanksgiving to God for the joy that he had in remembering the partnership he had with Grace Church Philippi and the gospel. That thought continues there in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Note the affection of Paul, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. That word partakers, it's got the same root as that word partnership does back up in verse 5. Fellowship is the idea there. Paul is saying, I have joy. I hold you close to my heart because you guys are partners with me in the grace of the Gospel and in the work of the Gospel. We're together in this. He's saying that it's evident. It's evident that Grace Church Philippi enjoys the grace of the Gospel like he does and that causes him to not feel alone. and It causes them to to have him feel close to his heart when times are difficult. See, friend, isn't isn't it so kind of God to give us the church? So sweet of Him to do. He knew that He would complete what He began. God knew that. But He knew that the time in between what He began and what He finishes would be hard. And so He gives us the church. How good of Him. A family. A family that would love us, encourage us, rebuke us, admonish us, walk with us through all things of life on to that heavenly reward. He creates a family with the same hopes and desires to walk together, to remind us of who we are, to remind us of what God has done, to remind us of what He is doing and what He will do. See, the fellowship or the partnership in the gospel that we have in the church of Jesus Christ allows us to have a kind of camaraderie that can keep us fighting for each other and for the glories of Christ when life gets hard. I love reading military stories and first-hand accounts, and you find this inevitably every single warfare you'll find How are people able to do such terrible charges and things of the like? You'll find it every single time. It's not just the cause, but they do it for their brothers and their sisters that are right next to them. And that helps them keep going. I'll get to the question of those that don't finish the race here in just a minute. But this partnership of the gospel, this camaraderie that we have built in the church, it explains those throngs of people that walk away from the faith after high school or after college, even though they grow up in the church. It explains it. It explains it because there's this natural progression uh, or maybe a supernatural progression if you go towards the church. But there's this natural progression towards the family that you surround yourself with. See, Paul was able to endure because of God's work in him. But the means of God's work was the church. That's why he started churches. One of the reasons he started them so Paul is able to sit in prison and have thanksgiving and joy because he had fellowship with Grace Church Philippi. And that fellowship was the manifestation as manifestation of God's grace to him in the giving and the receiving, and especially when things got hard. See, the church was the hand of God to hold him and make him complete, and that inflamed his heart. Let me say that again. The church was the hands of God to hold him and make him complete, and that inflamed his heart. So... If you take a look at those that grow up in the church or walk away from the faith after high school or college, you're going to find in almost every single circumstance they were more attracted to partnering with friends of this world than they were with partnering those that are friends with the gospel. In other words, the glitter of this world attracted them more than the gold of Christ and His people, church. They walked away from the fellowship that was designed to make them prosper. Jesus said, friends, that He was building His church and nothing could stop it. And so the fellowship of the Gospel is found in the church. So, and the church is the means by which God uses to bring the redeemed into completion. The ones that place themselves squarely inside that fellowship of the Gospel are the ones that you see will be brought to completion. So the ones that don't, they oftentimes don't make it. I can't say that they, ne- that they never make it. There are some that do without ministry of the church. But oftentimes, those that do not place themselves squarely in the ministry of the gospel of God's people, they oftentimes don't make it because they keep themselves at a distance from other partakers of grace. And so they don't have fellowship with the gospel because they aren't meaningfully around the fellowship of gospel people. Paul needed the camaraderie of the church. He needed a meaningful partnership with gospel people in order to be made complete at the day of Jesus Christ. And you know what we find, guys? We also find Jesus needing the same kind of partnership. Think about that dark hour in Gethsemane when he asked those three men to come with him and pray. These three men were not some distant Facebook friends, right? They were not just some pals that they vacationed with. Jesus vacationed with every once in a while. They're not even just people that they saw on a Sunday morning, talked to for five minutes, and then off they went. These these are people that he did life with, and walked with, and ate with. So if Jesus and Paul needed the camaraderie of the church in order to live inside of the confidence of the Gospel, what about you? What about you? I think about brothers and sisters of the faith that uh, have lived inside of this Gospel in the life of our church. So I think about people who just this past week confessed things that were very difficult. And in their courage, in their courage and with their tears, they confessed those things. And as they confessed those things, do you know what they found? Grace. Mercy. found the Gospel. They found other people that would meet with them. Cry with them. Maybe rejoice with them. I think about one person that I met with not long ago, that said that he was scared to kind of share some of these things because he was afraid that the men in his community group would think that he's a freak. You know what I told him? You are a freak. But guess what? So am I. And so is everybody else in this church. We're all freaks together. We're all messy. None of us has it figured out. None of us does. And so the more that we talk about these things, the more that we can get them out, and the more that we can be encouraged and walk together and stop trying to put plastic faces on. And we can walk together in the love and the camaraderie of the church. Jesus needed these things. He needed the grace and the love and the mercy and the hands and the feet of Christ in the church. And so, in the same way, we need the same. We need each other, brothers and sisters. If we are the hands and feet of God to be made complete, if You keep us at a distance from You, it's going to be hard for us to love You in the grace of the Gospel. And God designed the church, flawed though we are, to help each other along to be made complete. But as you do that, as you trust God to complete you, and as you live inside of the church to help you, as you do that, you will then be thirdly and lastly confirmed. Confirmed. That is to say, you will be revealed to be an authentic believer. That's what we see in that second half of verse 7. Paul says there in the second half of verse 7, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul holds this church near and dear to his heart because they display the grace of their salvation through their partnering with him in the hard work of advancing the gospel. So Paul presses the gospel out into the world and he is faced with difficulties and he looks beside him, he looks around him and who does he see but the brothers and sisters of Grace Church Philippi. They haven't left him. They haven't left him when he's imprisoned. They haven't left him when he was defending the gospel. They haven't left him when he was out there confirming the gospel. They're still right there. And so he looks back in verse 7 and says, you are our partakers with me in the gospel because you're with me. And you know what? Another reason he can be sure that they are partakers, he's got a Epaphroditus sitting right next to him. The physical pre- presence of that church to help him along. They haven't left him. Paul seems to be saying that the evidence of their presence in all of these things confirms that they are actual partakers of the grace of the gospel. So friends, in other words, their being partners with Paul as he is imprisoned for the Gospel, defends the Gospel, confirms the Gospel indeed, reveals God has begun a work in them that is going to be made complete. Their partnership in enjoying the Gospel and advancing the Gospel in the good times and the bad times reveal to Paul that they are the genuine article. They are really are believers. See friends, we tend to forget that Jesus said there would not be two kinds of people that responded to the Gospel. We tend to forget Jesus said there's four kinds of people that respond to the gospel. We're very aware of those first two kind, right? One that have no interest in the gospel and they walk right away from it. And then the other kind that do believe and they go on to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But Jesus says there's two others. You can go back and read this in Mark chapter 4. There's two other people. There's the one kind that receives the gospel or at least believes the gospel with joy. At least they say they believe. And then when life gets hard or the things of the world begin to press in, they walk away. Because they have no roots in the soil of Christ. And then the other kind that he mentions, those that are going to be persecuted or have to suffer to obey Jesus, and they walk away. They never actually had their feet in the soil of Christ either. And so, friends, we have to be reminded that we have to persevere. That's the evidence of God's work in us to complete what is lacking in us, Right? Jesus told us there would be all kinds of people that will respond joyfully to the gospel, but you can tell who the ones are that have really been begun by God by them bearing fruit as difficulties press in. The ones that fall away prove they were not begun by God in their falling away. This is exactly what the Apostle John writes about. 1 John 2.19 He's speaking here to those who oppose Christ. And listen to what he says. He says, They went out from us. That's the church. The us there is the church. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain. It might be seen that they are all not of us. So if someone claimed to be part of the church, but they left the church, whether in presence or in practice, Their going out reveals they never actually were of the church. They never actually were of Christ. Remember those haunting words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21-23, to when He says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will come to Me and say to Me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? Cast out demons in Your name? Do mighty works in Your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. There's that word again, intimacy. I never actually knew you, intimated with you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so friends, we have confidence to believe that God completes every one of us that He has given life to. And that can be seen by our continuing to walk the hard and narrow road. But the life-giving road of the Gospel in partnership and in obedience And Paul saw that in the saints of Grace Church Philippi, their willingness to stick with him through the spread of the gospel spurred him on and encouraged him that God was going to finish what he had so evidently begun in them. And friends, doesn't this serve as a good example for us? As the world seems to shrink and in some ways get more and more difficult, as fewer and fewer people in America hold on to the historic gospel and shape that gospel to try and fit the contours of our culture, the more difficult it's going to be for us to remain faithful to that gospel. The more important it will be to cultivate this camaraderie that we have with with each other in the church, the more important it will be to be reminded that our confidence is in God to complete us, not in ourselves, not in our government, not in any other person or persons outside of God alone. See, the reality is, friends, most of us will never have to experience the trials and the tribulations that Paul did in being beaten and imprisoned for the gospel. As a church, we will likely not have to be tested as to whether or not we are going to maintain fellowship lines along with the gospel that may cost us our life. That probably won't happen to us. And I say probably won't because it might. Might happen to some of you. But the confirmation of the good work of salvation that God has done in us is likely going to come in the forms of more subtle things. More difficult things, more practical things. So when our employers demand obedience to things that oppose the Gospel, and that job's all we have to pay the bills, will we believe the Gospel then? Or when classmates mock you for believing the biblical definition of marriage, will you obey the Gospel then? Or when they mock you for believing that Christ is the only way unto salvation, will you believe and follow Jesus then? Or even more practically, will we see gospel, the Gospel confirmed in our lives when our marriages get difficult and we'd rather run from them instead of actually endure the pain of forgiveness? Will we be willing to walk away from our jobs when their demands on our time become less of a season and more of a rule that doesn't allow us to meaningfully obey Jesus? These are just some of the difficult decisions that we are going to have to make, friends, in the days and weeks and ahead. We will reveal, we will confirm that God has begun a good work in us when we, like Jesus, absorb the blows of the world and yet keep our eyes fixed on that infinite joy in the new Jerusalem. Our hope and our eternal reward. So remember, remember beloved, remember where our confidence lies. Our confidence for these difficult decisions, it does not lie in your or my ability to perform them. That's not where our confidence lies. Our confidence lies in God as we are carried along by the Spirit to perform them. So look over there. Just briefly look at uh, at Philippians 2, verse 13. It says there, note the words, note the language. He's consistent all through this letter. It is who? God who works in you. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Yes, you will have to make decisions. Yes, you will have to make tough decisions. Trust God to make them in you. And so I tell you, Restoration Church, I am so thankful for you. I am thankful for you because while we have plenty of places to grow, myself most notably, I believe that we are more like Grace Church Philippi as Paul talks about them than we are not. I believe that there is a genuine partnership of the Gospel here. I believe that there is a confidence that God will finish what He has begun in us. I believe that and I with Paul and with Paul, I and the other elders of this church say with Paul that it is right for us as elders. It is right for us to feel this way about you all because we hold you dear to our hearts because it is evident that you all are partakers of the grace of God in the gospel. We have held by the grace of God. We have held the line of our convictions. We have loved one another. We have served our neighbors. We have served the nations. There have been hard days and there are hard days coming. But I trust and know and believe that God has begun a work in us and He will finish it. And we can be confident in that as a church. What joy there is to know that we, all places and peoples in the world, they don't have the kind of confidence that we have. And so no matter what may come, we can face our faces to the world like flint with spines like steel and keep walking with smiles on our faces, though blood may drip out of our hands, serving one another in the glories of Christ. Because we have somewhere to go and we have others that need to get there with us. And we must bring them with us. God has done great things through the ministry of this church and He will do great things and He will finish those great things when Christ returns. And maybe, maybe, maybe He'll finish what He began before we finish this next song. Wouldn't that be great? It might happen. There's the East. Look out that window. Let me pray for us. God, we thank You for the confidence that we have. We confess our confidence is not in ourselves. We confess our confidence is not in our leaders. Our confidence is not in our own initiatives. Our confidence is in You. We believe and we trust, God, we're looking to You to finish what You have begun in us. We trust that the day of Jesus Christ will be soon. And we can say with all the saints on that day, It is true. You did it. And so God, until that day comes, give us the camaraderie inside the life of this church that we, like Paul, would be able to say to one another that it is evident that we are partakers of grace because we are with each other in our own imprisonments, in our own defenses, in our own confirmations of the gospel. And as we do that, God, may we be encouraged that the confirmation of the witness of one another as we walk through the fires of life's trials and on to home in heaven. May we always remember that the best is in front of us. And may it come soon. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.